Hi everyone, my name is Steven Wakabayashi and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of queer Asian perspectives. This episode we're joined by an extra special guest, Kim Tai. Kim Tai is a writer, Emmy Award winning producer, and the founder of Ganesh Space, a community organization dedicated to pursuing equity through mindfulness. She is a proud daughter of Vietnamese refugees and is currently living in New York City with her partner and two cats. Hi, Kim. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing all right. So glad to have you on the show. So honored to be here. I feel like it's a a new badge of honor in my <laughs> in my <laughs> oh. in my in my queer ranking to get into oh. get on yellow glitter. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I've always wanted to want, uh, have you on, and I think it's great that we finally took a minute to talk. And you're doing awesome, awesome work in the community and just uh, mindfulness. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you. How are you doing with just COVID and everything that's happening? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you're doing amazing work too, Stephen. Oh, so um, eh, it, the love goes both ways. <laughs> um, yeah, COVID's, COVID's been really interesting, right? Like I think, um, you know, obviously my world is so much rooted and, 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 and based in the mindfulness space. So I've really kind of looked at this world through this year through the, such a spiritual lens. And, um, and I think not only as sort of a, a resource, right, when things have gotten hard, when things have felt overwhelming, which I, I'm sure that's been the case for, for everyone at different levels, um, but also just kind of like seeing the the nuances of different forms of people coming through different awakenings right and 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 i don't think it's by coincidence that the year that our whole world got flipped upside down is also like synonymous with having clear vision right so like so it's been really interesting for me to kind of look at it through that lens. And, you know, I think when things have been tough, I've gone back to my mat and gone back to my cushion or in this case, like <laughs> bought a lot of instruments. I've been like really experimenting <laughs> with sound healing and music mm. lately in my own personal practice. And, yeah. and that's been really um, beneficial. And, and I think, you know, I think it's been a year of, of really, at least for me, of of having to question my priorities and what my and where my life kind of stands and how to really take these learnings. I was teaching a class the other day, but how can we how can we take the learnings and lessons of this year and not just make it about 2020, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how can we move it forward, right? And and I and I think for me it's been it's been very much what's the priority, right? And and sometimes it, it this year's really cut away at at the at the bullshit for me, you know. And I'm like, oh wow, like I actually only really talk to five people, <laughs> right? <laughs> or like I actually only really wear like these four outfits, right? Like or two (laughs) or two, right. I was being generous for your podcast, but let's be real. Um, 
But you know, I think, but I, but I think that is when, when it's applied in such yeah. a, a practical sense like that, you're yeah. like, wow, do I really need every, do I really need quote in quotation marks, these other things? Right. And I think looking through a Buddhist lens, it's, it's really made me question like attachment and desire and where I can kind of continue to practice that and, and, and wind back and hopefully align myself more with what I'm trying to practice. That's, that's been very much this year for me. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And you mentioned priorities and how it's coming to light for you. What are some of your priorities that you found out during this time? I mean, I think it's really been family, to be honest with you. You know, like I, um, I live in New York. I live in Washington Heights with my partner. Um, but that also, and the rest of my family's in Texas, right? And it's been incredibly challenging being away from them, you know? Um, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. And, you know, and I see my family quite frequently throughout the year and, and I haven't been able to see them, you know? So that's been, you know, and, and I'm actually in Texas right now visiting them. I decided to just kind of make the plunge and drive down here with like 18 oh. gloves and like four masks on my wow. face. <laughs> How, wow, that's a long drive. Yeah. And so, and, yeah. you know, and I was just kind of saying, I was like, my heart's been aching for them. Right. And so, so that's been, that's been the real sort of, um, biggest, biggest sort of like realization for me or reprioritization. And I think sometimes, you know, like it's so easy to get caught up in work. Right. And, and, um, in whatever form that may be. And like, you know, I think especially living in New York, it's like, that's, that's our lives, right? Is work and our passions and what we're putting out into the world. And, and then suddenly when all of that gets sliced away or sliced and diced in a very different way, you're like, what am I left with? Right. And, and it makes me think about, you know, we always talk about going back to the root and foundation of, of what, uh, of who we are as people in yoga, right? And, and, um, and so to me, that's, that's my family, right? And um, so, so that's been the really big eye-opening 2020 clarity that I've gotten this year is like, oh, like, my family really contributes to my happiness and my well-being. And how can I prioritize that more in my life moving forward, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so easy to get caught not just in work. Work is so easy because that's how we have to survive, right? How we make income. But also, I think for myself, what I realize is it cut away the... And you mentioned like the materialistic things, right? All the stuff that we buy just because they're so nice and shiny, and we realize like clothes, like we have a whole closet and then we just wear like just a couple pieces day to day to day. 100%. And then also some of the relationships that we might just be going through the motions about just because, you know, we feel like we have to. But it also shows us, at least it showed me 
who the important relationships were, especially with people checking in on me and、uh, wanting to know how I was doing, versus you might have the friends that you just see when you're out and about. And you're like, hi. You're like, oh, yeah. Like, totally, <laughs> totally. You know? And I, and I think, you know,、um, I'm a very extrovert, I'm a big extrovert, right? Um, so, when the pandemic first hit and we had to go on the lockdown, it was really challenging for me. I was like calling everybody up in my phone book, right? <laughs> You're doing Zoom meetings. Like, You're like, oh, this oh, is、yeah. great in the beginning. You're like, oh, oh yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, right?、And、yeah, yeah. And my partner is such an introvert and she was、mm. just like, you go do your thing. I'm going to go go read in the other room. But,、um, yeah. You know, that's been really interesting for me too to experience where I, I you know, people, you、yeah. know, everyone's always talked about having a finite amount of energy,、yeah. right? And,、um, and it's interesting because for me, like,、mm -hmm. I always used to associate that with work, right?、Mm -hmm. Like、mm -hmm. having a finite amount of energy for work、yeah. and not so much for socialization because that. That tank was so high for me usually.、Yeah. And that's been a big thing this year where I'm like, oh, I'm just tired. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. Right?、Mm -hmm. I mean, this, I mean, 2020 is a year filled with trauma and, and real trauma that we're experiencing as a collective. And、um, there hasn't been enough time that's passed yet for any of us to process it. So, you know, we're, we're all in different levels of survival mode right now. And In some, for some people, in a lot more,、um, you know, a, a way that's like affecting their health and their income and their food. And, and so, you know, I think for me, it's just been like, oh, this is really interesting. What a privilege for me to say, like, like it's been interesting to kind of just observe、mm. um, my energy tank, right?、Um, yeah, yeah. And, And to notice that I don't need to be going 2,000 miles a minute. I don't need to be calling everybody up. I don't need to be having like five different engagements a day, right? <laughs> like,、um, yeah, yeah. which was totally my life before.、Mm -hmm, so,、mm -hmm. I think you brought up an interesting point just around extroversion and、um, managing this pandemic. And I'm just curious,、mm -hmm. just like as an extrovert. What has helped you?、Mm, that is a great question, Stephen.、Um, I have to think about that for a second. I mean,、yeah. I, for me, it's really, you know, it's, I think it's a balance, right? Of, of honoring that part of myself, right? And letting myself, like, Find that, like,、uh, really asking myself what it is that was fueling my extrovert self, right?、Um, and because I think, like, it's different for everyone, right? We're all different. And for some people, it's really connecting with someone intimately, deeply, right? And, and, and for some people, like, You know, I'm here, like I said, I'm here in Texas, and like my nephews just want to play Roblox, which, if anyone's familiar, is just like a video game where you're just like、yeah. literally sort of just talking at each other while you're playing, but like、yeah. they love it, right? Yeah,、um, yeah. <laughs> and it's their form of connection, right?、Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
and my mindfulness like pieces like just let them be right like don't worry about it um and my extrovert really has been like self has really craves novelty you know and and i think that's something that i've been i i always knew about myself but i think it really kind of it crystallized in a different way of like oh this is this is really what I need, right, outside of myself. And and so it became less about, like, talking to a lot of people all the time or talking to new people all the time and more about how can I, in a very limited way or confined way with it, as we're living in the pandemic, how can I still find that newness and that novelty, right? Um which has been challenging, right? Especially in quarantine where everything feels like you're living the same day. So, so I think like that's been, that's been my approach. And, and then like really kind of recognizing like, oh, you know, I, I've been, I text my friends all the time. Right. And that to me is for the most part, like enough these days, right? Because I, I, and I, I don't, and I think it would be different if I was by myself, perhaps, but I think, you know, if I'm, I'm consulting and, and having a full day of interactions with people and I have my partner and, you know, so I think like by the time the day's over, I'm kind of spent, you know? And so I'm just like, cool. Well, I still miss my friends. I still miss my family. So I just, that's my way of still connecting with them and getting that sort of extroversion connection. But then like really going in and like, I bought a banjo, which is like so Texas of me. And, (laughs) (laughs) but like, but it's like new and fun. Right. And that's been, to me, that's the way that my extrovert self is expressing itself these days. So, Oh, I think that's so powerful. It's asking internally within ourselves, what are we trying to get out of it versus this is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. That is really, really powerful. And a few months ago, you wrote a piece, I think it was so powerful on Newsweek talking about Trump and his perspectives on his China flu and just the impact that it's had on this country. And I just wanted to ask you, since everything that has gone down with politics and uh, Biden winning, but Trump is still, you know, fighting back and even Texas, right? Going to the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court, challenging what we've voted on. Mm Mm-hmm. What are some thoughts that you have around it and what um what is that saying about our country still? <laughs> How much time you got, Steven? <laughs> oh, I know. Man. Yeah, I know, right? I mean like listen, I think I think the thing that if and I can't I can't speak for everyone else's experience, right? But I think for me when Biden won, I was overwhelmed with joy right and it was really interesting to me that yeah I think in general everybody was feeling very celebratory if you obviously if you voted for him right not half of half of our country didn't right but um but I think 
the thing that was really interesting to me in those in the in that sort of weekend and that day and in those moments when people were getting the information is that all my close friends of color um, seem to feel it in a different way, right? And to, and and I'm curious what your experience was, Stephen. But like, I to me, for my experience, there was a huge weight that was lifted, right? And 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 I just started crying like uncontrollably, like there was such a release, you know, and, and the thing, you know, and it's so interesting, like my life is, is, a, is dedicated to mindfulness and sharing these practices and, 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 and there was such a deeper level of exhale that I, I was able to achieve that day and has been, and have been able to achieve that since then. And I share that because I think the last four years have been subconsciously for my own experience, I've been like on high alert, you know, and have been more on guard and vigilant than I normally, than I have had to be in the past. Right. And, um, and so for me, I think that there is a shifting of sort of, uh, a shifting of level of of safety and comfort uh, uh, with this sort of changing of guard, but also with the full acknowledgement that like our country's still a mess, right? And I think the seeds that have been, you know, we talk about this all the time in Buddhism, right? You, 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 like the act of meditation is literally rewiring your brain, right? So like you use the practice to, to take out these sort of like grooves in your brain so that the neuropaths can actually um, undo itself and like you create new habits and patterns and, and you do that by planting new seeds, right? And, and the and the thing is, is like the last four years have been planting these seeds of division, right? And planting these seeds of hatred and of fear. And um, and I see it in, in the way that I am, right? Like even like me, like I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like reacting really strongly to this person who's pro-Trump, right? Um in a way that I would have never reacted before and uh, to a Republican. And, and I think it's different, right? Like, I, you know, I think we all kind of understand the level of intensity, but I think that that's what's been done by this administration. And I think that there has been a setting of example of like not coming together, but instead uh, using intimidation, using being on the attack and defense, right? And if someone doesn't agree with you, then you go stand outside of their house with guns, right? So, so I think for me, like moving forward, it's more, I, I'm very curious and interested to see how, um, Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris will really, both simultaneously um, work towards fixing the really embedded inequities within our systems and, and addressing racial injustice, while how do you repair this deep, deep wound that we have that it's like, it's like, you know, it's, 
it's like the thing is, is like the states, like America's been kind of sliced across its belly. You know what I mean? And like we've used the last like two centuries to kind of repair that, you know? But like I think like the last four years have shown us like there's very much an infection <laughs> that's growing in that wound. And, um, and I'm not, and I think my thing is, I, I, I believe in a world where we can achieve equity. I don't think it's going to be in my lifetime. I don't think it's going to be in my children's lifetime, but I also think like people are going to get left behind in whatever sort of collective future we're moving towards, right? Whether it's like unity and then the people who are still, you know, adamant about their opinions, right? Or, you know, a world where we become more divisive as a country, regardless of leadership, right? I could, I hope that doesn't happen. But I think that I think that Supreme Court, you know, that that case from Texas, is a perfect example of that, you know, you know, and now they're like, you know, and there were comments, you know, between all those, you know, all these statements put out by those states that were like, well, maybe we should like, you know, be two separate countries. They didn't say it explicitly like that, but there was, um, there's been sort of a hint, there's been a hearkening of that idea, right? Of like, we don't see eye to eye anymore, right? Or this is lawless country and that is lawful country. And like, so there's a lot of work to be done is, is I guess my, is my sort of answer to all of it is that, um, I, I, I think, I think, uh, I think there's more work to be done than there were four years. There was four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I hope that with a new administration, we can actually do the work now. Yeah, for me, when Biden and Harris were announced, it was mm-hmm. kind of reminiscent to when Obama got elected, mm-hmm. where everyone had this burden lifted off of their shoulders and everyone felt great. And it, um, I don't know, it, it, it <laughs> how reminiscent it was made me a little bit fearful of the future in a way that... Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, you know, it, there's so much work to be done, but I wonder if we're just getting in this deeper and deeper, almost this like boomeranging back and forth where we deepen the divide more and more and more. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we live in a country with other people and what it's so easy to segregate ourselves from, I think right now, right, Republicans and people who have conservative beliefs. But I think the way that we need to shift our minds, the way we think, is how do we come together in this space that we inhabit? Because ultimately, you know, unless we kick them out of the country, they're going to be in this country with us. And there is going to be a give and take. And I think instead of instead of having to think, oh, I'm giving up my rights, 
it might be giving up time to educate and giving up space for people to just heal some of the traumas that they've gone through and yeah it's a it's it's a very hard thing to also discuss with some people who are you know radical activists and won't stand against intolerance and you know it's uh it's 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 a conversation that i think all sides need to have and a deep reflection of okay you don't see eye to eye with these people what do you want to do about them in this country yeah totally i i mean i agree a thousand percent right and i often you know my moments of of challenge right when i've had to had conversations with people who totally opposite values and beliefs right i often think about um i uh, the monk's name is escaping me in this moment but there was a there was a, a buddhist monk in thailand um well he 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 fleed his home country but um to go to thailand but basically his whole entire family and home got destroyed in cambodia right and they got murdered um by um you know this subset group this militarized group and ethnic group that was there and you know spent and so his whole entire village kind of got occupied by the very people who took his life away and took away his loved ones and um he spent several years there basically through his practice connecting with them and helping them which like to me is such a extraordinary example of compassion and i you know, and I don't expect everyone to be at that level, right? And 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 you know, I think for me that even feels like a stretch if that if I were put into that situation. But I I use that as an example of me to remind me of the capacity of compassion and the capacity of of how we can hold space as humans that whenever I am in a challenging situation, to go back to that and to go back to my breath and be like cool like what's really what's really the goal of this conversation right and and how much is my ego playing into this conversation too right um and you know and i think that's at the root of what we do at ganesh space is like saying like hey we can't always change the people around us or the systems around us right but we can change internally how we are in those spaces and in that time. And honestly, like every single one of us has trauma, has internalized some trauma, right? And, and, and I think everyone has different levels of trauma, obviously, right? I, I recognize that and, um, and honor that, but so much of hatred, if not all of it, is from fear, is rooted in fear, and is rooted in this idea of I've got shit I've got to work on within myself, right? And to get to that point where I can I can see the world in a sort of wider perspective and with with sustained awareness, right? We talk about that all the time at Ganesh Space is sustained awareness. And um 
And it reminds me, you know, there was an essay James Baldwin wrote that was like a letter to his nephew. And he, he talks about cultivating compassion for the most, you know, racist white men um, and to his nephew. And it's very similar in vain to that Buddhist monk, right? Of like recognizing, oh, wow, there's, this is, this is um, manifesting in violence. This is manifesting in hatred. And if we're able to, to get to that point, to really see that, and then, then perhaps we can change the way we react to it. And by changing the way we react to it, there might be an instance where the person who's on the receiving end will also by default change the way that the dynamic is, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. When you said that, it just reminded me of compassion acting almost like a shield for us where we don't mm. let other people's trauma permeate into us. And with compassion, we really allow the people stewing in the hatred to have a deep, deep reflection of their own reflection and um, see what it is that they're putting out into the world. And with compassion, we it's almost as if we can just walk around with a mirror and show people exactly what is being put out. And I, I think it's just so powerful and um, it's hard. It's, it's very tough. But I always remind myself, Stephen, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger picture. Is it fruitful to, if a baby's crying, is it fruitful for me to be on the floor with a baby and start crying and bawling with them? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? We see the totally. bigger picture. We're like, you're not hurt. You know, it's totally a, you know, a way of life. And, you know, some, we have adult babies and they're crying and they're wailing. And, you know, if we just fall onto the ground and wail with them, you know, sure. But, it makes the baby more anxious. It makes the baby more worried. Uh, it, 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 it cements that that's the reality for the baby. And, you know, it's uh, sometimes we have to also assess our bandwidth, how much space that we have to give people. And it's okay, you know. I tell people, it's okay to step away if you don't have the bandwidth. If you don't have the bandwidth, the worst you can do for yourself is overextend yourself. And then you feel like, oh, like, that I didn't love giving that compassion. And when I tell people that, I say, it's a more reflection of yourself. You know, it's you've overextended yourself and that's what you're feeling rather than I'm inhaling and I hate this person. And so before people go into these situations of managing and dealing with trauma, I say, you must assess your own bandwidth, how much time, how much space, how much verbal energy do you have to give onto the other person? And if you don't, take time for yourself. A hundred percent. I think I think that's so important, Stephen. And I'm really I, I'm really glad you brought that up because <clears throat> 
we we're we're in such a solution oriented society, right? And so, what tends to happen a lot is you're in a situation where you're like, oh, well, let me solve this problem. Let me get this person to think a certain way. In most instances, that's a lot of the cases where that's when the safety suddenly becomes not safe for you, right? And and obviously, fully acknowledging that there are real s- scenarios where safety is like comes from violence, but you know, I. I always go back to this quote in this this idea that in Radical Dharma that Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams talks about where people of color tend to put themselves in these situations where they want to fix the other person, right? And they want to fix they want to fix internalized racism into someone who can't even see it themselves, right? And and she was like and it's and it's actually our own drama as people of color of putting ourselves in a situation of harm right that was kind that's kind of talking about what you just said right in terms of like overextension the worst thing you can kind of do and and i was just like that was such an eye opening perspective for me to think about it in that way to be like oh wow you know the best thing I can do, not only for that person, but truly myself, is to just fully acknowledge that I can't do any work here. And like, I'm actually putting myself in harm. I'm actually creating my own suffering by trying so hard to change this person's mind um, versus just walking away, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's completely okay to do so. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So with Texas in the news and uh, just (laughs) so much around it, I know that your hometown is from Texas too, Houston. And I just wanted to ask, what was it like growing up in Houston? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... um, so like I shared earlier, you know, I'm 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 in I'm in Houston right now visiting my family and um it's been really interesting, right? Like the like so I didn't grow up in Houston proper, which is actually one of the most diverse cities in in the country. I I'm I grew up in a in a suburb outside of Houston. And growing up, um I was very much the sort of um often only minority in the room, right? Um, And, you know, this, the greater Houston area has developed so much, but in particular, the, the, the side of town that I grew up in, right? And it's been really interesting um, to go back every single year and kind of see how much it's evolved and changed. And, you know, like, my mom was like, oh, we should go to Asia town. And I was thinking she thought she was like talking about Bel Air, which was like a totally different part of Houston that we used to go to all the time. Um, and she was like, no, there's like an Asia town here now. Like, in, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I was yeah. like, because the Asia town before in our little small suburb of Katy was like, my house right <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> you know so um it's been really interesting to kind of see that and and see it grow and also feel see the juxtaposition of like um 
of of my experience growing up versus kind of how it is now, right? And um and you know, and I think growing up is growing up here was challenging. I, I think like I don't think it was until I really started doing this work of figuring out what has been internalized in myself, like from a level of marginalization that I realized how much had been internalized. And I think subconsciously, you know, you're always kind of aware you're different, right? Or I was always aware that I was different um, because I was the only minority in the room. But um, it's really through reflection where I was like, oh, in, in this moment where I was you know, called a racial slur, right? Or in this moment where someone called me out because I wasn't Christian, right? Um, is when I've felt like, you know, when I've been like, oh, wow, that's, that's really kind of like uh, embedded in me in a way that I, that I continue to explore and show up for myself for. And, and I think that it's shown up in a lot of different coping mechanisms that throughout the years I've, I've worked to let go of, you know, um, and I, and for me, like, you know, I, I realized this a few years ago that like I used humor so much to, to shield myself. Right. We were just talking, you were just talking earlier about Mm -hmm. using compassion as the shield, which I think is really beautiful. Um, and I think I used humor a lot. Right. And, and I often, like like made jokes about my my asian identity um as a as a way to to as a defense mechanism as a way to get to the joke to the punchline first before anyone else could you know and and often you know humor is so disarming right so it was kind of killing two birds with one stone you know, by by doing this act of I'm going to disarm this person who I don't even know if they feel a certain way about me. I'm just projecting that onto the situation. Right. So to, for, to say that first. And then um, and then as a result, I'm going to undercut my value. Right. Undercut myself because it felt safer in that moment, you know, Um and I talk, I've, I've spoken about this with a really great friend of mine who's a black male and um, grew up in, in, in a, a very similar environment as me. And he's an activist now and also yoga teacher and um, Roque Rodriguez, who I, uh, please go check him out if y'all, if y'all are interested. He's wonderful. And, um, but we often talk about like, in reflecting back to childhood of like how much of it was survival, right? How much of it was, was, uh, me not kind of, uh, I guess like, uh, recognizing in the moment, right. That, that I was doing harm to myself. Right. So, and, and I think that can be a really challenging that can be a really challenging conversation to have with yourself. Right. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, where I always reflect when I think about it now is, um, is, is those sort of pieces of like, how much of it did I need to do and how much of it 
did I just do because I didn't know any better mm. at the time? Yeah, yeah. The the nervous laugh and it, the 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 humor is a real thing. And in my support groups, it's a trained mechanism for us to just disarm, even for ourselves, when we're in really stressful or tense or even you know intolerant instances. We've armed ourselves with laughter and I, and sometimes you see people talk about really serious traumatic things and mm -hmm. then they laugh about it and i always remind people the people who are in the space and just looking that this isn't laughter about the situation they're not trying to make humor this is just them trying to process it and um you know some sometimes people are ready to let that go and just to dive a little bit deeper into what exactly are they feeling? Because if we talk about emotional states too, what we're trying to do is almost like a, a self-defense mechanism where instead of feeling the sadness, right? Feeling the anger or feeling these deeper, deeper emotions, we're trying to process mentally uh, what exactly happened in this moment and then we're laughing and we're, we're almost we're because two sides of our brain right we have the left side which is verbal and the right side is emotional verbally we're processing that trauma we're like okay right. they called me right. you know terrible terrible word faggot whatever it is right and then the right side of our brain is just i i can't even deal with that let me just laugh about it and let me just process it and i uh i just remind everyone that if if that is a um a pattern to be gentler with how you're approaching the situation and maybe it's not going so deep verbally right where it's like this is what happened look at all this but maybe it's just chip away a little bit and just see what do you feel at that moment what emotions are arising and what does that inform you more about this event or whatever has happened and yeah totally it, it's impact to you yeah absolutely and you know i think for me too like particularly the sort of intense work i've done this year um just you know i think i think working on sort of my internalized racism you know with all the calls to racial justice that we've had this year um, has made me kind of really recognize and, and, and view white supremacy and dominant culture and racism as an entity. Right. And, and it's been helpful for me to kind of work through this through a distance, right? Because it's, it's such personal stuff that we're dealing with, right? Our trauma, other people's trauma, other people's experience, right? But, you know, it's been so helpful to me to kind of view all of it, you know, fat phobia, homophobia, to be like, oh, wow, this is, this is an, a, a thing, right? And where is it, like, where is it on my body, right? Where is it in my body? And how can I continue to separate myself from that in order to recognize, like, 
you know, I'm doing my best and also to be as patient as I can with myself in the process to your point, right? Stephen, of like not judging, I might be laughing nervously or I might be shutting down, right? Like it's like, oh, cool. I'm actually working through this huge, huge imprint in my brain, right? In my psyche. Um, So I think being able to kind of like view it as an ex- like as solely an external thing, even though it's been internalized, but it is truly something that it's an external culture and force, right, has been helpful for me to continue to see patterns and defense mechanisms in a more compassionate light for myself, mm-hmm. you know? I just want to ask you about just your coming up and coming out even just managing your queer identity and just processing it what was that like for you yeah for sure um i appreciate all the heavy hitting questions steven <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting out of this <laughs> um, no i'm the exact same way i I've had Q&As with people and they're like, Kim, you're not really, (laughs) you're going straight to the heart of things. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I I do too. I do too. Uh Um, I think, you know, for me, um, my queerness really came later in life, right? And um, I didn't really start exploring it until my late 20s. And it's interesting, like, I think about that sometimes and I wonder how much of that was cultural and how much of that was my environment, right? Because I I always I was always drawn to the queer community. That's the thing that was interesting, but I never identified as queer, but I was a strong advocate and so many of my close friends and dear friends were gay and you know, I went to the gay part of Houston, like all the time, like, you know, and and hung out. And I was just like, yeah, I'm here with my gay guy friends, right? Like, I felt inherently safer there, which is interesting, um, in hindsight. And, you know, and it wasn't until, you know, I was much later in my life and had a you know, I was married. I had a, I had a, I had a, you know, a very hetero, <laughs> heterosexual wow. yeah. life, you yeah. know, that um, I started, honestly, um, my mindfulness practice kind of brought up this, like my queerness, right? And I was like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here, right? Um, and and like my my coming out was simultaneously um gentle and rough and um slow and fast you know it was there was there was always an interesting sort of experience of it because i had come to it later in life that i felt and this was all internal, right? This was nothing. I was so incredibly supported by my friends and by my family. Like I, I, I truly, you know, couldn't have asked for 
a more supportive system. So it was really just like myself, right? That I was really kind of dealing with, oh, well, I got to figure all this out, right? Like I'm, I'm almost fucking 30, excuse my French listeners. You're fine. (laughs) And then, but like I was almost 30 and and kind of sitting there being like, I need to figure out who I am. I think that, of course, there were challenges that came with my queerness and and being Vietnamese and being Vietnamese American. Um, And that was like, you know, its own crossroads. But it was it was definitely. It was definitely like a a journey, right, (laughs) for the lack of a better word of me kind of first exploring it and I was just having this conversation with a dear friend of mine who who's starting to explore their queerness and you know it's like you know I wasn't comfortable with labels right for the longest time and and like I I didn't want to be identified and and not so much in the terms of like being in the closet but just like I just didn't know how to even like put a name to what I was feeling, you know, and, and it wasn't until like, I really, you know, met my partner now who she really embraced the term queer. And I saw that identity in such a clear way. And it was at a time of like, where my, my mindfulness practice became like less a thing I was just doing on weekends, but really becoming a part of my life. And, and I often talk about how queerness and mindfulness are so similar in idea, right? And it really helped me kind of connect this parallel of like, oh, we don't live in a binary world, right? We don't live in a, in a yes or a no or a wrong and a right, even though, you know, um, westernized society christian society has really much implemented this form of thinking on onto the world um but in fact there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of gray and that really helped me kind of step into a deeper level of acceptance and patience and compassion for my own sexuality and and it was helpful for me to be like cool like I don't, I, sometimes I'm attracted to men and sometimes I'm attracted to women and I don't need to force myself into a box. And I think, you know, I, uh, I always tell this story that the most accurate representation of my sexuality was that I got a tarot card reading (laughs) and, and the woman was like, the woman was like, you fall in love with people's souls, not their bodies. And that was like, I was like, yes, that, right? Like it was very early on in my sort of like queerness journey. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to tell people when they ask, right? And um, and I think the word queer, at least now for me, right, encompasses that idea. And, um, and so, you know, I think it's been a slow and and steady process and I'm proud to, 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 you know, be a queer person of color, particularly a queer Asian person, Um, you know, because I'm sure you can speak so much to this, Stephen, that there's not a ton of representation out there for this sort of intersectionalized identity. And, 
and I and I hope that you know through this work that I'm doing at Ganesh Space and kind of fully embracing intersectional identity and making people know and and understand that it's totally okay to not fit in a box. And in fact, we actually don't really fit in boxes at all, if you think about it. Um, And so how can we make that box into a circle or make it into a diamond or make it into whatever hell of a shape you want it to be, you know? And, um, And I attribute so much of my thinking today because of my queerness journey and who I am today because of the fact I am queer. So um, I'm very grateful for it in a way that, that I, I, you know, never, never could have anticipated when I first started going to Henrietta Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, That's awesome. You know, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's um, you know, sexuality. You know, everyone says it's a spectrum, but I think it's a, it's, it's more than that. I think there's multi dimensions to it, or even just like attraction to body parts, right? Or it's attraction to body, body parts. Like they're all spectrums. And when you think about it, it's not just one dimensional, two dimensional, it's multi-dimensional. And for us to just try to put ourselves in that box, I think it doesn't give us enough credit as human beings, how complex we are. And we, we have what's in front of us, right? A line, a spectrum, that is one dimension. But if we have the capacity to understand it in a three-dimensional manner, you know, what's holding us back? Is it just the trauma of, you know, being different? Or is it the fear of something new? You know, I think that's the question that we should ask ourselves rather than focusing on just, you know, this minuscule one-dimensional issue. And I think when we're able to really truly reflect on what you know what exactly is holding us back from even thinking or um, uh, processing some of these new ideas it will open up the doors so much for other ways of thinking that we have never imagined was possible a hundred percent i think i think so and and you know it's so interesting Stephen. i i've i've said this a lot to to mm-hmm. in my classes and my friends and it's like i when you're when you're dealing with different forms of marginalized identity, right? Um, I've in my life like recognized when I've felt different versions, like different different identities, right? Be more marginalized, or at least my internal experience is the that's what feels like most at at, at stake, right? In that moment in time, and so. It's been really, I think, such a process and interesting for me to kind of really embrace the wholeness of all of it, right? And instead of kind of being like, I'm the only woman in this room, right? Or being like, I'm the only Asian person in this room, or I'm the only queer person at this, you know, party. It's like, it's like, oh, well, if I can, if I can get more to my own wholeness, then perhaps I can stop 
just a little bit, you know, be, be my, be at my own best sort of like self in my wholeness that I don't have to, um, I don't have to constantly be questioning my points of difference. Right. Mm, And, um, and, and I think that's where, that's where the internalized marginalizations where you can start chipping away at it a little bit, you know, and, and, you know, and I'll, and I'll share this really quick story. You know, I got my, my sister, um, she texted me out of the blue one day and was like, how are you like, 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 no, she started, well, how did she go? She goes, she goes, do you think I'm uptight? <laughs> oh, you're like, oh, we're going to go there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, you know, like we had, we were like, hadn't been texting for days. It was completely out of nowhere. This was the first text I get. And oh. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she was like, you know, I just, you know, do you just think I'm like, I know I'm a control freak, but like, you know, what do you like? Do you think it's just too much or whatever? And I was like, wow. I have no context <laughs> of what is even going on. I'm not going to have this conversation with you over text, you know, like. Yeah. And I was like, where is this all coming from? And she was like, you know, I was just thinking about because she had just visited me. Right. And and she was like, I was just thinking about you. And you just seem so free mm, and mm. at ease with yourself. Mm. And and she was like, and I and I want that, you know? And oh. and I get emotional thinking about it, right? Oh, because yeah. Yeah. because for me, like that and I told her I was like I, how I did that was a lot of hard work, <laughs> you know? And and um and even if like you know the conversation ends there with my sister to me that's such a that's such a prime example of how showing up for yourself in whatever form that may be and for me it's mindfulness and mindfulness practice like that showing by example right just just the sort of um you want to talk about activism, the sort of feeling of, of just existing, right? As a as a as a as a act of protest and an act of resistance, that that makes a real impact, and um, and I think and I think that's a really, to me, that was a direct example of of how me just being in my wholeness, right, is. Can cur- and can directly affect change in perspective. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's I, I'm kind of you know getting kind of emotional just like hearing that. It's just I think it's beautiful that she was able to open up and be so vulnerable with you about that. And it's um, it's two things. It's testament of your hard work for yourself and working through it. Um, but I think for her, it's that tenderness and that yeah. reflection and that vulnerability to start looking inside the box that otherwise she had been very fearful of. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And what and what an honor that she shared that with me, yeah, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So, showing up and being a part of um, this movement, I think you're doing an amazing, amazing job with Ganesh Space. And I just wanted to give you a minute to just talk about to the listeners what what is Ganesh Space. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Stephen. I feel the exact same way about your work. I I, I actually reference it quite often um, (laughs) when I'm talking about great queer spaces and great Asian spaces. Um, Yeah, Ganesh Space is is my life's work, right? And um, I think I think for me, I I you know I'm based in New York. for your listeners and much like you. And, you know, I, I really started diving deep into my mindfulness practice <clears throat> a couple years ago. And, you know, I grew up loosely Buddhist. So I think the idea of mindfulness wasn't new to me. Right. But, but it really became, um, so much a bigger part of my life. And so by nature of, of, of practicing more, I wanted to find community right and i wanted to find a place where i felt like i could be my whole self you know when we talk about i talked about that whole being and that wholeness and i had a really hard time you know like i often and i often like found spaces that were just for queer people or just for people of color or um and even that was only one or two nights a month right like um and then so what what often happened was that i was you know, talking about being the only person in the room, right? I was the only person in the room quite often in in yoga and meditation spaces, right? Who was, um, quite frankly, a person of color first, right? Like I definitely felt that way in yoga spaces, and 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 you know, being being in a sort of larger body, right? And I think. Uh, particularly in yoga spaces, it's been so capitalized and been so merged with sort of the wellness industry and, and the fitness industry, right? That the, the, the message of yoga, the sutras that are like really is what yoga is about gets lost, right? In the physical practice, everything's focused on headstands or crazy poses. Um, right. When really it's just moving meditation, right? That's what it is. The print in, in the principles of everything we've talked about today. And, and so I kind of went on this crazy hunt for myself. <laughs> like I was like, I'm determined to find a community and a space that really works for me. Right. And, and then I started getting really disheartened because I couldn't find one. Um, and, you know, and, and I went to India and and deepened my practice there. And I went to Bhutan to really observe, um, sort of a Buddhist way of life there. And I came back and I was like, well, if a space doesn't exist, then I, then I really want to make one, then I'll just make it and see what happens. Right. And so, you know, I was really, um, 
interested in not only creating space for exploring internalized marginalization, but exploring this idea of intersectionality within us and, and really turning that into real actionable mindfulness, right? Because I think so often we're in these spaces and it's a lot of spiritual bypassing, right? It's a lot of like, I just want to feel good and then I'm going to go off and be an asshole after I'm done with my class, right? Um, So I really talk about, you know, and, and our community is based in this idea of how do we, how do we really take the practice off of the cushion, off of the mat, and and make it um, real in our lives, and and you know, and particularly because you know we're so um, rooted in this idea of of you know trying to to let go of these internalized marginalization. It's really working towards this overall mission of equity and collective liberation, right? And so so for us as a community, it's like, yeah, let's go ahead and, and sit together and do this deep work. And then like, then let's go like volunteer at a food bank, right? Or let's raise money for um, a grassroots organization that's helping, you know, an underprivileged community, right? Um, and, you know, and I'm so proud of the work that we've done. We've raised $15,000 this year for organizations dedicated to, um, you know, underprivileged communities and particularly awesome. pri- communities of color. And and we've really supported so many teachers um, during the pandemic who were mostly people of color and otherwise wouldn't have had resources to continue sharing the practice through their lens and perspective. So... I think, you know, for anyone who is interested in being a better human in the world, right, or be or or trying to figure out how they can make change and if they through like, you know, a mindfulness lens, then please come and check us out, you know, and 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 know that we're um a brave space to and and welcome all bodies and forms and anyone who's willing to show up and do the work basically. So. Awesome. And what services do you offer to the community? Yeah, absolutely. So we offer yoga, meditation. We offer, um, really in, you know, I do a self-reflection circle every single week. Um, we have a free community, um, gathering every month. It's every third Tuesday where we go and, um, really talk to someone, uh, who is an expert in a field to share their sort of spiritual practice with us, right? So, like, we with Navaratri in October, we had um, an Indian American teacher, like, she shared uh, a puja with us, which is like a cleansing ritual. In uh, this past month in November, we had really honored Native American um, Indigenous Month and uh, a beautiful performance and dance was shared uh, with us along with like a prayer and how to honor honor different lands and Native lands that you're on. And, and this month we're honoring the winter solstice and particularly through um, a queer lens, actually. You should come through. Um, see you yes. in it's, it's uh, <laughs> yes. this Tuesday. Okay, and, awesome. Um, 
And, you know, and so we're really kind of exploring the self through astrology and through a queer lens, regardless of your identity. So, um, and I'm so happy to be holding space for, um, for our queer teacher that night, Will, who they are, this is their life and, and really has such a wise perspective. So, you know, we do, we do a range of things, you know, and, um, and and really we're based in community and, and connection and and doing this deep work within ourselves. Awesome. It's, it's a it's a beautiful space. I recommend all listeners to check it out and it just the collective uh, group that you've been able to bring together and just the radical um, inclusivity and diversity within the mindfulness space that you've been able to create is pretty awesome and not it's very far and few and so um it's it's such needed work in this world and um you know i'll I'll forever be your fan i'm I'm so excited for it (laughs) i love if anyone is listening that just wants to you know passively get into it um sign up for the email newsletter i love it it's just uh, oh, thank you, I, I love it. <laughs> um, it no, we get we get yeah. real into it sometimes. You, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yes. And you know some of the stuff that you put in, it's just so relevant. It's just an awesome resource that comes every week, and it's just one of the few that I'm like, oh, this is like solid. It's gold. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. I shout out to Brittany on our team. Like literally, that's her baby, and she's like, "I hope someone's reading this." Oh, it's awesome. She needs to look at the analytics because I'm like linking it everywhere. I'm like, like check this out for this. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I really thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I often, anyone who's Asian or, and queer, I'm like, go check out Steven because he's doing amazing work. So, um, we're, we're, I'm happy to share the company and I appreciate the kind words. Yes. Yes. And I'll put the links in the show notes for everyone to access it. And yeah, if, Yes, yes, yes. And if you had to give one closing word or word of advice to the listeners, Mm. what would you want them to take away? I think for me, it's to continue to show up and prioritize yourself. I think showing up to do the work and to prioritize yourself and the work that healing work that you really deserve is a continual practice of discipline of understanding your self-worth mm-hmm. and understanding that you matter and understanding that you're worth the time and energy. And I often tell people when they're like, well, I want to, I want to make a difference. I want to change. How do I do that? I'm like, start with yourself, you know, cause that's the best thing that we can do. And in some cases that's the only thing we can actually control and change. And if you if you can get closer to wholeness, whatever that might look like for you, then then people notice people notice and energetically you start that shift and that ripple effect. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. And if people want to find you, how can they reach out? 
Yeah, absolutely. Just go to GaneshSpace.com. We're launching a lot of amazing things in 2021. So keep a lookout and, um, or you can follow us on Instagram and um, at GaneshSpace. So that's just G-A-N-E-S-H-S-P-A-C-E. Awesome. So, so enriched and really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you for showing up. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for holding the space for these type of conversations and for all the work you do. And I'm honored to be here. And I hope I hope sometime in the near future we'll be able to hug and, and <laughs> hang out. So oh, I would love that. And uh, for all the listeners, thank you so much for listening. And we hope your day can be a little bit more mindful with what we shared. <laughs> Thank you. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye.